Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm Billy. I'm Maggie. And you're listening to episode 38 of Into Into the the Meepleverse. I figure, like, we, I think we're 38 episodes in. I think it's time to, like, more, find a way to more formalize our beginning and our ending. We need, like, a go-to. Yeah, because we just kind of, like, we just, like, improv the beginning. We improv the end. Like, you know all those other podcasts that have, like, an ending that was, like, this has been Into the Meepleverse with Billy and Maggie, produced by Mm. Billy and Maggie. Like, I think we, I think we need one of those to make it sound legit. It would just be, everything would just be Billy and Maggie. Edited by Billy and Maggie. Produced by Billy and Maggie. That sounds funny. Maybe there's a joke there. I think we could really, like, lean into it. I like that. And then it would be funny. So what's, what have you been playing, Billy? I've been (laughs) noticing you on TTS a lot. So I've been on TTS for a few different reasons. I actually haven't been playing very much on TTS, but I've been learning games on TTS. Oh, cool. Uh, and making sure that the mods that I've downloaded are working because I want to make sure that I can like learn the games in a good experience. I, I plan on learning in the Hall of the Mountain King this week. I had it open on TTS for a little bit because I really want to learn in the Hall of the Mountain King so that I can try Fall of the Mountain King, the prequel that's going to be hitting Kickstarter in the next little bit. I really like Burnt Island games and what they put out and the people involved in it. So I really want to like play their games and support them. Yeah, awesome. I honestly, I wish I could say I knew those games, but I don't, but they sound cool. Yeah, I've never played in the Hall of the Mountain King, but it's like, I've seen a few photos of it on like Instagram and just in threads of good tile placement games. Mm. It has like a polyomino puzzly element. Oh, God. You had me when I was hearing about, like, tiles I was in, but then polyomino placement? No. Count me out. I don't I don't know the rules, so I can't really speak to it well yet. I'm sure in a, in, in maybe a couple months I might do a better job. Uh, but it just looks really beautiful. The production is gorgeous. A good production with uh, a mechanic that I like always intrigues me and always pulls me in. So I want to play it. Yeah. I have been playing a lot of Terraforming Mars. It's oh, yeah? Al- it's already like my, I just looked and it's my number one most played game of the year at only 10 plays, which isn't that much, but I haven't been playing that many games this year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's April, right? You don't need to, 10 plays is nothing to scoff at, especially when they're going to be at least 90 minutes apiece. Yeah. And last last episode, I'd only played it once. So yeah, I've yeah, been, been cranking them out. Yeah, how how's your opinion adapted and changed playing it 10 times now? So I've played with another expansion now, Colonies. Okay, okay. And with two different other boards. So the and the other boards have different awards and milestone conditions. So I just like like that variety. Of course they do. That makes so much sense. Yeah, so it's a bit different playing with those new boards yeah. and playing with the colonies expansion are just like an action where you can go and you can either place a colony on these other planets or you can just trade with these other colonies to get stuff. And if you trade with a colony and 
sorry, if you trade with a planet and someone has a colony on this, uh, you'll get to trade with them and whoever has a colony on there gets a little bonus. So it's just like a little something extra to think about. And I, I like the expansion. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I had to say about that. Awesome. I know last week we, we talked about it and then uh, last Monday we streamed it, you and I. Yeah. And it was my second play and it was your third play, I think. Is that right? You'd played it once between recording and streaming? Yes. And like I will say, second play, it's been four years since I played it last time. It was fine. (laughs) Like, I I had a good time. I would not say steer clear of terraforming Mars. But if if somebody's looking for a specific type of game uh, and terraforming Mars kind of falls into the realm of what they're looking for, I would probably recommend something else first. Yeah. It's a fine game. I'm still shocked that it's like number four on BGG. Also, I think that the mod, I just, I, I should like contact the person who made the mod because it's so good. It's so automated. And I do feel like playing the game in real life would probably be a nightmare because it just seems really fiddly with the income tracks and the mod just makes everything so easy. Yeah, I think if you get like the broken token or the like custom tracks to keep you, all your cubes nice and in place, it would make that a little nicer. Right. Yeah. But there's definitely a lot more that you have to keep track of in real life oh yeah yeah the mod actually keeps track of all the tags you have too which i find super handy because you don't have to like be constantly looking through your cards and counting the tags yeah i think when you're playing games digitally and like in tabletop simulator and whatnot i often find that things take longer on tabletop simulator and i think with something like terraforming mars and since we're both experienced tabletop simulator players, I think we're actually going to find that if we play Terraforming Mars in real life, it's going to take a little longer. Mm. I have had, Billy, I just want you to know, I don't want this to get to your head. I've had three separate people tell me that watching you stream Terraforming Mars has changed the way that they use tabletop simulator because you used it so well. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what does that mean like three separate people well just you really you were utilizing all the hands properly and it was just like a master class on like how to use tts and three (laughs) separate people have been like well i saw billy doing this so i'm gonna do this as well and i also changed the way i did it too (laughs) you're changing people's lives wow Mm -hmm. (laughs) well that's exceptional yes thank you maggie thank you for sharing that with me you're welcome yeah but again don't let it get to your head but I do think that you you are really good at using TTS. And you gave me, you were the one who taught me how to do it. And within 15 minutes of a little lesson with Billy, I felt like an expert as well. So thank you. I like that you're not even like making that up. You're not exaggerating something. We literally did have a 15-minute tabletop simulator lesson. Yeah, it was great. And I, I think that's very cute. <laughs> it was so cute. And it really prepared me. Like I can bring Shrek or like custom Shrek dice into any game that I want, as long as I have the permissions. And (laughs) I wouldn't have that without you. So thank you. So one thing that I've done before is I've taught games for publishers on tabletop simulators. And if you're teaching a game in a mod that they don't want to get around, you can't promote anyone. Because if you're promoted, you can save the mod. But if you're not promoted, you can't save it. So... Like, nobody can delete things then. Nobody has all these fancy permissions. So I started saving different objects that do different things. So I have this, like, black hole saved where anyone can just, like, put a thing into it and it just deletes it from existence. And I think just, like, there's so much fun in Tabletop Simulator that's not the board games. And I think that's really cool and it really 
adds to the experience. Oh, I, I agree. I totally love it. There's so much shenanigans. It's it's great. I love all the random stuff that you can do that is not at all game related. Yeah. Also, I think it really made the Catanathon potentially better than ever because viewers could see the games of Catan. This is so off topic. <laughs> and also people could mess around with stuff on the board. Absolutely. Yeah, I just think it's it's really good for streaming as well. It is a little bit easier from from my setup to stream a game through Tabletop Simulator or through a Tabletopia or Board Game Arena mm-hmm. than it is to stream a game in real life. Apart from the limitation of you need to physically have that game and you need to have the table space and your elevated camera and proper lighting. Like, yeah. There's so many ways that just make it streaming a little bit more accessible. The only thing that's a shame about that is when you're playing on BG or sorry, board game arena or TTS, the audience can only see your screen, which isn't a huge deal, but it does make it if there's more than one player, yes. Everyone's only paying attention to what you're doing. Absolutely. I, I think if I was going to do more streaming, like because I, I'm gonna keep streaming once a week for sure, and I might stream every once in a while around that. But I think if streaming was going to be like a bigger part of my job and I was going to do it with other people and with a group, I think I would want to do more of like this person's the camera or like maybe I'm not playing the game, but I'm the camera and I can see everyone's hands because I do think that is a really interesting way to see a game get played. Yeah, I agree. Maybe in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so since last episode, I did a long game and you did a little game and you didn't get to talk about your main game. I just brought a little game. All right. Well, let's lo- let's jump in to your little game. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess that you have probably played this game before, but I'm actually not sure. But the game I want to talk about today is Six Nymphed. Nymphed. Sorry, I have a hard time saying the name. Okay. <laughs> have you played it? I don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I might have. So it's, it's. I think it's a pretty popular. I'm actually not sure though. I played it on, I've only played it on Board Game Arena. So first I want to talk about the designer a bit. The designer's name is Wolfgang Kramer. Does that mean anything to you? Yes, yeah. Oh, it does? Yep. So you know that this guy's like a big deal. Because I didn't yeah. know that he was a big deal. But apparently yep. he, sorry, go on. In general, like, I I really latch on to names. Like, part of the way my brain works is I like uh, ascribing. I don't know if that's the right word, but I like attaching a name to to different things to categorize my life. So, like, board game designer names stick pretty well in my brain. Yeah. Just this guy. So, apparently, he's a really big deal, but I actually didn't really know any of the games that he was most famous for. So he's listed as a designer on 242 different games on BGG. A lot of those I'll say are expansions or just mini expansions for Six Nymphed or his other more popular games. So it's not actually 242 unique games, but I still, yeah. as soon as I saw that, I thought, okay, that's that's pretty significant. And he is credited for pioneering area control mechanics, action point systems, and he introduced the... Uh, victory point track going around the board concept that's used like all the time now. 
He did. Yes. So that's what he's known for. What a guy. He also made this little card game, which is popular, but it wasn't even listed as his top six most popular games. I think the game he's most known for is El Grande, which I've never played before. Don't know if you had. Uh, I've played it. It's quite good. That's the one where he uh, introduced area control mechanics. That's what he's like known for, for that game. That makes sense. And I think like that style of area control and like the dudes on a map style area control are like very different. And there's often some hot debate about whether war games are area control games or whether you need like a classic wolf game Kramer style area control game. Oh, interesting. So I've never played the game, so I don't actually know what the area control mechanic is in that game. It's a little bit like Alien Frontiers, okay. uh, where you are trying yeah. to like basically control different areas, but it's not about like eliminating the other player. It's just kind of about manipulating, moving them around, and getting yourself into the area with enough people to win the area. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's like... In the Viticulture Tuscany expansion, there's like a little tiny area control map, but it's not at all combat-y or removing. It's just kind of like putting cubes on. I don't know if you've played the Tuscany expansion, but... I have, yeah. I think I did with you. Oh, okay. Of course I remember that, fondly. <laughs> okay, so Six Nymphed. This game can be played with two to ten players. I played it with five players. Every time I've played it, I've played it with five players, actually. But I would imagine that you'd want probably at least four players for this game to be good, even though it says two to ten. And how it's going to work is you're going to have a hundred, sorry, there are 104 cards in the deck numbered from one to 104. And each card has a varying number of bullheads on it. And the bullheads are going to be points. So if you have to take any cards with bullheads, you're going to get those points. And points are bad. You want to have the lowest score at the end of the game. How it's going to work is there are going to be, at the beginning of each round, each player will get dealt out 10 cards into their hand, and four random cards will be put face up. Each turn, a player, all players pick one card from their hand, and then simultaneously reveal them. So the four cards on the table can be like whatever numbers, and then once the cards have been revealed, uh, the players are going to play those cards in ascending order. So whoever played the lowest card is going to get to play first, and the highest card is going to play last. And when you're placing your card, so say you place like a 4, 27, 32, and 69, those were like the four numbers, the person with the four would go first. And they have to place their card to the right of whatever card is the lowest that's currently on the board. So the four cards that have been played out are gonna be in starting four different rows. So say they were like one, 17, 89, and 100. The four is gonna be closest to the number one. So it will go to the right of the number one. Okay. And each player is going to play their cards. If your card is lower than any of the rows most right card, then you have to take you have to pick a row, take all of the cards in that row, and then replace it with your card. So if you played a four and then there was no cards that were lower than four to go to the right of, you would have to pick a pile, take it, and count up your points, however many bullheads were on those cards, you're gonna add them to your score. Okay. Or if you place the sixth card in any row. So throughout a few rounds, these columns are gonna start, sorry, these rows are gonna start to fill up. If you place the sixth card in a row, which often like you don't really want to do that, so it'll just kind of happen sometimes, you have to collect all of those cards and add them to your score. <laughs> so this game, you're trying to 
just avoid doing those two things pretty much. Or if you know you have a low card, you want to make sure you play it like maybe near the beginning when there aren't that many cards and you can just sneak one bullhead out of it. Or maybe right after someone has collected a stack of six. So yeah, you're just trying to avoid collecting cards at all costs. That makes sense, yeah. Once you've played all 10 cards, you're going to shuffle up, redeal, and start again. And you, these rounds are going to continue until someone has hit 66 points. But 66 points is just going to trigger the end of the game. It means that like at the end of this round, it will be done. And whoever has the lowest score at the end of that ga- at the end of the round will win. Sweet. If there's a tie, it's just a tie. It's a shared victory. So you're just trying to kind of manipulate the numbers in front of you so you never have to take bad cards. Yes, exactly. That makes sense. Most of the cards just have one bullhead, but then there's some cards that have like five on them. Then you obviously want to avoid taking a stack with (laughs) those higher bullheads in them. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. But this game is really fun. I like it because it's quick and easy. It's like super fast to learn as well. The one thing, and I actually think this would be a good game to bring to like family reunions or whatever, or like with your non-gamey friends or just like a a casual game night. The only thing I would say that would potentially be a turnoff about this game, and it actually, I don't know, it's kind of like a bigger discussion about like rewards versus punishments in games, because this game is very much like you don't get rewarded for anything. It's like only punishing right which i think is interesting because i definitely was think there's a group of friends i have that i play games with regularly that aren't really big gaming people but we play like lighter party-ish games and i was thinking of bringing this but like i know they wouldn't like it because it's punishing and not rewarding that makes a lot of sense but i still think it's a really great game i think that (laughs) a lot of people would like that i would consider that before recommending it but it's good yeah um so i have played this game oh you have yeah, I, I didn't realize. I have played a re-implementation of it. I actually own it. Oh. It is the same system that is the Walking Dead card game, also designed by Wolfgang Kramer. Of course. That's probably one of the 242. I mean, that's definitely one of the 242. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, design of the game aside, I don't think putting a Walking Dead skin on it did anyone any favor. <laughs> Why? What did they do? Did they have numbers associated with them or were they just... Yeah, so it's numbers and it's like, yeah, there's a system of bullets in it. And then there's, I think, walker bites. And I don't remember what the bullets do. And I think the walker bites are the bullheads. But it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think a quick game like this that is supposed to be a fast experience with a relatively crisp rule set needs a theme plastered on top of it. I think anyone who goes into it for the six nymphed experience is going to feel a little let down. Mm -hmm. And anyone who goes into it for the walking dead experience is going to feel a lot let down. I think that it was probably a money grab. And based on the fact that you own it, I think it was successful. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree, it probably wasn't necessary. Yeah, fair enough. Also, like, you talking there got me thinking. Like, we have points, and then, like, anytime we talk about points, but you don't want points, we have to clarify, points and points are bad. Why is there not a generic term for that? Why have we not, as gamers, decided what negative points should be called? Let's just come up with it right now. Oh my god, that's so much pressure, Maggie. This is going to affect the lives <laughs> of every gamer. I just want to call it, like, a random name, like, Hillary. So we just, like, say Hillary, and then everyone understands that that means points, but points are bad. 
I think or that's bad. But like, golf. what if we're playing with Hillary and then we have to explain to Hillary? Then we'll say golf. And then everyone will know, okay, it's a Hillary situation, but we're not going to call it a Hillary because Hillary is here. Okay, so this just got way more complicated, Maggie, and I don't know if it's good. <laughs> I think it's slightly less complicated than saying points, but points are bad. You think it's less complicated? If everyone knew about it. There's now a caveat that involves whether or not there's a person named Hillary in the room. That is more complicated. All right, well, that this is the method I'm going to use moving forward. You can continue with whatever you were doing before. All right. I'll I'll join you on the Hillary train. <laughs> Excellent. So Billy, what game did you bring to talk about? Too many bones. Oh, okay. So we have talked about this game before. Have we? No. Wait, haven't... Is this the game that's waterproof? Yeah. So we have talked about, I think, you being excited about this game, but you probably have never actually dived in. Yeah, I didn't find it on our spreadsheet, and I know that we've talked about it being waterproof, and I know that we've talked about, hey, you could spill water on my games, and it wouldn't make me sad. Mm. But, like, cards on the table, I would still be upset. <laughs> Even if it's waterproof. Like I know it's fully waterproof. <laughs> if you dumped a jug of water on the table. Well, I wouldn't what if it was an accident? Like I'd still I would still be annoyed, Maggie. I guess like we're imagining a world where I'm allowed to have a drink on a table, which is just not a reality so there's no point of even really entertaining this exactly exactly by the time you would have spilled the drink you've already broken so many rules at my table that's true (laughs) that that i've earned being upset i'll just see myself out (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so too many bones we we've mentioned it before i don't think we've done like a dive into it and i kind of want to dive into it because i think the world it builds is really interesting i think the mechanics of it are really interesting And it is just like a luxury item. Oh, no, we have talked about it, haven't we? I don't think we have. When did we talk? I don't know. I remember talking about it being a luxury item. I think that we were talking about being excited about it, but I don't think we've talked about it since you've played it. But anyway, we're going to talk about it again. And I've talked about Arkham Horror like three times now, so you can talk about Too Many Bones as many times as you want. I'm just, I'm doing a quick Google. What are you going to Google? Has Into the Meepleverse talked about Too Many Bones? (laughs) I was hoping that... Are we that famous? <laughs> I guess I guess not. I guess we're not that famous yet. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. We'll get there. You know, we don't have a search on our website. Okay. I, I know you said we as if it was like a we problem, but I'm in charge of the website, so I see you. Okay, I'll add a search in. <laughs> Too many bones. Okay. I can't find it, Maggie. I don't think we've talked about it. I don't think we've talked about it. Okay. I, I don't know. Dear listener... Please tell us if we've already talked about too many bones too much. But I think we're good. I think we're good. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah, let's do it. I got, I, anyway, I got new things to say. So, like, I'll be here. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. We'll be good. Uh, it was designed by Josh J. Carlson and Adam Carlson. A brother situation? I believe so. Like a terraforming Mars? Nice. Or maybe it's like a grandfather-grandson. Oh, yeah, that's true. Or maybe it's... I'm pretty sure it's brothers. A married couple. Maybe. But I'm pretty sure it's brothers. Okay. So in Too Many Bones, you are playing as a gearlock. A gearlock is a uh, fantasy race that's somewhat like an elf. It has like long pointy ears and somewhat like a goblin because they have like very small thin statures. And gearlocks are driven by a weird conflicting love of nature 
and machines. So like they're obsessed with their natural world, but they also love tinkering and they love creating things. Uh, Whether those things are explosives, whether those things are robots, they love making stuff. You're reclusive. Uh, Most people who encounter a gear lock in the game are encountering a gear lock for the first time. We've been hidden in the deep wood, but all of a sudden the land has been overrun by hostile creatures. And so we are part of a party that has been tasked to head up, travel north, and silence the tyrants. Alright, alright. I love it. I'm all in. It's big. Sign me up. This is a big game. Where do I give money? I love it. <laughs> Where do you give money? You can yeah, give money t- directly to Chip Theory Games. I'm all, I'm all in. Uh, it's a dice builder RPG. And so kind of what that means is that throughout the course of the game, you're going to be using dice to do things. You'll be using dice to attack. You'll be using dice to defend. But you'll also be gaining access to new dice as you level up. So... It's an RPG, so you're going to be playing this one character over like a longer period. And that longer period isn't 10 years in this case, but it is like two or three hours. So you're playing this one character. You're going to build up that character. And as you level up, you have choices. Do you increase your strength? Do you increase your dexterity? Do you increase your HP? Or do you gain a skill die? And the skill dice are going to give you access to different abilities. And the thing that works really interestingly about this mechanic is that you have all of these dice. And if you gain access to it, you're going to put it onto your character sheet. And now you have that die and you can use that die. But if you use that die most of the time, it is then going to be exhausted. So for the rest of that scenario, and the scenarios can be like 15 minutes, they can be half an hour, they can be 10 minutes... For the rest of that scenario, that die is consumed. It's exhausted. You can't do anything with it. But when you're done the scenario, you're going to get all of your dice back. So essentially, it's a once per game ability. Uh, I guess once per scenario ability is a better way to put that. uh, That lets you do something cool. Okay, sorry. I already have some questions. Yeah. When you say scenario, like is each like session of you playing this game a scenario or will you do several scenarios throughout like one play uh so like each scenario is like could be between 10 and 30 minutes and a game is generally a number of days days in game not days out of game okay my my four plays of this game were an hour and 48 minutes where we lost uh three and a half hours two hours and 53 minutes and two hours and 40 minutes so those dice that I've gained, I might use them seven, eight, nine times. Right. I guess the time that you lost, it was shorter because you lost? Yes. <laughs> we got so crushed. We just did so bad. This game is difficult. It is very hard. And how it works is you're going to be traveling, trying to gain enough of a specific symbol that you get for doing certain things to gain access to the tyrant. And as you gain access to the tyrant, You can then fight them and win the game. If you beat the tyrant, you win the game. But there's so much that you need to do along that path. And if you engage in a scenario and you win, you might get certain rewards. If you lose, you might miss out on rewards. And gaining those like rewards, those level ups are going to be really important because you're going to start out as this weak little gear lock who's never going to beat the tyrant. You need all of that leveling up that you can accomplish. 
So it's on a strict timeline of like, let's say you have seven days to accomplish it. Each scenario, you're going to go in, you're going to try to win because winning means more power. And that's really important. I mentioned that it's waterproof. And like, as I've mentioned before, I think in the past on an episode, this is very much a luxury game. It is like a $200 game. It is very beautiful. And you are going to be met with plastic cards. You're going to be met with playmats that are your character sheet that have slots cut out for all of your different dice that you will gain and you can store them there all of the dice are beautiful like the rule book is plastic to demonstrate how different this is from regular things i brought some props okay so this is a standard deck of cards this deck of cards is from jaipur I love these podcast props. Right, right? So that was a standard shuffle. It was a riffle shuffle. And this is from Too Many Bones. I don't think that sounded as different as it did when I prepped it. It didn't sound that different. Let me get the wingspan deck out and I'll show you (laughs) a big deck. (laughs) Okay, let's try flicking it. It was very different when I tested it earlier. That's okay. Which one was that? <laughs> that? That was too many bones. You can hear the like wang, wang, yeah. wang of it. And here's a Jaipur card. Honestly, Billy, they sounded similar. They didn't sound similar. I think they sounded very different. Okay. And Discord is disrupting it. But I think the, the listeners are going to get the proper experience of how different those sounded. Okay, okay. Everything in this game feels deluxe. So one thing that's really interesting... Just like side note, when I did the riffle shuffle of Jaipur and I did the riffle shuffle of Too Many Bones, the scent of Too Many Bones was like, like almost like new car smell because everything just still has that like plastic, we're new, we're fresh smell to it, which I'm sure it won't forever. And how many times have you played? I've played it. Oh, right. Four times. Four times. But that's for like more than 10 hours total. Are the cards waterproof? And it still being that fresh is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. They're plastic. Whoa. That's why they go. It sounded really bad from me for me, but maybe it sounded good for the listeners. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. If it didn't work, I'll just leave it in and no, then just yeah, be leave sad it in. It. <laughs> but like the game is so story driven. So you're gonna shuffle in a number of encounters into the the like encounter deck, which is gonna you're gonna have a different encounter every single day. And those encounters are all going to just be different types of experiences and some of them are going to be battles and some of them are going to be prizes that you find and some of them are going to be weird mini games like there's there was a flicking game that we played in the middle of our scenario and i know i haven't talked about how the game itself actually plays yet but i will do that in just a moment but here's for example one of the encounters this is from the base set solo card zero zero one it's called the sky bridge and each day you're going to read one of these it's a cakewalk At least that's what I tell myself as I hang on for dear life. A thousand arrow lengths up in the sky. Unfortunately, this ancient rope bridge connecting the two mountain ridges is more ancient than it is bridge. There's an unknown party on my tail and a trading post waiting beyond in the ridge ahead. Only seconds remain to make one of two ill-advised choices. I could turn and fight on this tangle of rotting wood and rope. The other option, hightail it, to the other side while dodging arrows from behind. If I make it, 
I can cut the ropes and send my pursuers on a one-way trip to the bottom of the canyon. And so you get to actually make that decision. And a lot of these cards are going to have decisions where you get to make them. That just took me back to you reading uh, Crossroads cards in Dead of Winter. I love your your story reading voice. I was I wasn't ready for it to be done. <laughs> well, I can I can read more stories, Maggie. <laughs> but based on what you choose, you're going to get different benefits, and you're also going to have different things. So if you decide to fight, you get to have like a bigger combat. You get to have more enemies against you, but the the area that you fight on is thinner because you're on the rope bridge. But if you scramble across and try to cut the bridge you are going to reveal baddies and roll two attack dice and take damage for every ranged baddie. So it looks like you get the choice of, well, do you do you do a big fight and try to just defeat him? Or do you run away, but maybe even just like take too much damage before you get away? Interesting. And the way the combat works is, I was a little surprised when I finally put in the energy to learn how the combat worked in this game because I was expecting it to be as involved and as intense as the game feels the game feels luxury like the the card did you hear the cards like (laughs) (laughs) no i didn't that just sounds like you're snapping your fingers to me i I hope it i hope it works better in audacity but that's what the cards sound like so imagine Uh, (laughs) but the combat is actually just relatively simple it's it's combat where you're on a grid the grid is four by four and you can move orthogonally and attack and you're dealing with the different enemies in an initiative queue trying to make sure that you stay alive and you deal more damage than they can deal to you like it's quite simplistic but it's done in a really uh like clear and concise way and the game is kind of not about the combat system itself the game is about the special abilities and the journey of building your characters for a certain purpose and building your team to work in a certain way so that as you fight and as you fight against more and more enemies, you can deal with more and more enemies without exhausting all of your resources. This is probably an obvious question, but this is a cooperative game, right? Always? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Again, that's a, that's a thing that I should mention in the beginning, but it's a cooperative game. Maybe you didn't, I just don't remember. I didn't. So. I didn't, Maggie. I just didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a cooperative game. You're working together. You're trying to defeat the baddies uh, because you're all the gearlocks going out on that adventuring party. Hmm. Just kind of the experience of learning how a character works, learning what their special abilities are, is really unique and cool. And the systems that the game has in place are really interesting as well so you have four main stats you have hp which is how much health you have you have attack you have defense and you have dexterity and each turn when when your character when your it's your gearlock's turn to play you are going to get to roll a number of dice equal to your dexterity so if your dexterity is three you're going to get to roll three dice Now, you can roll attack dice, and you can roll defense dice, and you can roll your special dice, but you can never roll more attack dice than your attack, and you can never roll more defense dice than your defense. So there would be more or less no reason to push your attack to four while your dexterity is at three. Okay. Uh, But if you don't want to use your attack and you don't want to use your defense, that's when your special dice come into play. The dice that instead of leveling up one of the other stats, you level up 
one of your special abilities. So if you're playing Boomer, for example, who is the tiny gearlock who's obsessed with explosives, she's a ranged attacker. Uh, she's she's fun. She's great fun. Uh, but if you're playing Boomer, you might be able to throw the big boom uh, instead of one of your attack dice. And the the way you build each character and learn about how each character works and what each character wants to accomplish and what each character can and can't do makes the experience really rewarding. And it really makes replaying the game a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like with all the different scenarios, it would feel unique every time. Yeah, because there's, there's so many. Yeah, how many players have you played it with? I've played it with one and two, I think. With one and how many, sorry? With one and two. Okay. And we've played we've played two player games where we each controlled one gear lock, and we've played two player games where we each controlled two gear locks. And two gear locks was a lot of fun, but it was a lot more stuff. <laughs> like Yeah. It was a lot more to figure out, especially when you're learning a character for the first time. And the characters all feel so unique. So I have their character sheets here. And so you have Boomer, and Boomer is, like, the explosives expert, right? Oh. Hear that, Maggie? I do hear that. That's the character sheet. That could have just been paper. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Boomer's little, like, infographic about her. Throw first, talk later. Boomer is an incredible asset to a party's overall damage output. With hard hits that hurt multiple baddies, as well as some very useful crowd control, Boomer can easily level enemy lines if she manages her grenades well. And the thing that's really unique about Boomer is that as you're as you're playing Boomer, you're going to get to roll some of her special dice. And she has access to three of her special dice off the, off the top, or I think four of her special dice. She has her element, her casing, and her fuse. And so these are the different components that make up her explosives. So you can use some of your dexterity to roll these and try to gain elements, casings, and fuses. And as you gain enough of those three resources, you can transform three to one of each resource into one explosive. And if Boomer doesn't have an explosive, she can't use a grenade. So she kind of has to, throughout the combat, be making the grenades that she wants to use. Very cool. Which is a really interesting thing to manage when you're playing a game like this. It's very interesting how it seems like they fit in a full like RPG campaign into like a quick little game. I love that. Yeah, and and the leveling up is a lot faster than in a standard RPG. So sure, you don't have as much time to fall in love with your character and to figure out their personality and everything, but you have time to figure out who this person is. Like, I think each... Each play of this game does feel like an RPG one shot. I love that. There's Pickett, who's like the the shield boy. He's he's your tank. He's gonna try to have massive defense and block hits, soak damage so that the rest of your team can be okay. There's Patches, who's your healer, who is going to try to heal himself, heal everyone else, but he also has like uh, toxins that he can cast onto the enemies. He can shoot them up with a needle and poison them. And he can also do things like Uh, Like, stim you to give you extra health beyond your regular cap. And then there's Tantrum, who's your, like, classic barbarian who has rage counters. And as you level up him, you can gain more rage counters to allow your rage to go higher and higher. And Tantrum can actually spend his rage 
to gain free actions, depending on how high his rage is. So each of the characters asks a very different thing from you as the players. And the choices that you have to make while playing in the relatively simple combat system are incredibly involved and incredibly unique because of how vast the characters are and how like huge the number of opportunities are to change how your character works. Do you want to go into damage output or do you want to go into defense? Like, how do you want to play patches? Do you want to be the team healer or do you want to be the toxin distributor who, like poisons the enemies like how do you want your character to work uh and it's just a marvelous experience it seems so cool i've i have literally tried to buy this game while you were speaking but it's sold out (laughs) (laughs) so interesting i'm really glad that this game works well at at two because i would probably play it most at two but I really think it'd be interesting with a four-player game because you'd have all different characters that can kind of specialize in different things. Like when you're playing alone, did you find that your character, you just had to make sure it was really well-rounded? Yeah, so when I did my solo play, I played as Boomer. And Boomer's listed as a difficulty three solo character. Uh, They have different difficulties set up for whether they're solo or in co-op. Okay. And... Boomer was hard because Boomer is so squishy. So, like, in order for Boomer to really succeed, she's going to need to get more decks. Because if she can't attack and defend and build grenades, like, every turn, you're not going to really accomplish very much. So it was difficult to, to play Boomer solo. But yeah, I think you just kind of need to focus on like what can I accomplish on my own and how can I try to be aware of my blind spots and work around them. The difficult thing about it is you do have a strict time limit. So let's say you have nine days to do to defeat the tyrant. Uh, you can only gain experience for those first eight days. And if you have a loss in there early on, it's going to really put you at a disadvantage because you lost that combat. You didn't gain experience for that day. That's like more than 10% of your day that is just wasted. Right. Or 10% of your journey that is just wasted. So like losing scenarios can be very harsh for you. Okay. But you still enjoyed it solo? Yes, I, I enjoyed it a lot solo and I will definitely play it again. There's also a lot of character expansion packs There's Too Many Bones Undertow, which is a just two-player variation where one of the characters is like a rock and roll bard or something. Love that. Or like a a musician. She has a a guitar as her weapon, and some of her special dice abilities allow her to keep different types of songs playing, which give her different passive buffs. Uh, which is just so cool. Yeah. Like, just off the top. That's just so cool. There, there's those extra characters, and then there's a whole bunch of extra character packs, and those character packs are going to come with all of their special dice, their playmat, and an entirely new experience when it comes to how that character works and what that character is trying to accomplish. And the base game just comes with four characters? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, I feel like once you've played those characters a lot and get familiar with them, it'd be good to... It's good that they have other stuff that you can add in, other characters you can add in. Absolutely, yeah. 
But even four plays we've played. So I did one solo, three two players. In the two in the first two player game, we just played two characters. So that's two, three. Um, I've played with eleven character, eleven of these characters, or rather these characters eleven times. Okay. And I don't even feel like the ones I've played with the most that I'm even starting to fully understand. Oh really? So. Because a lot remember, of replayability. You can go in an entirely different path with the characters. Yeah. Do you think that you would ever play the same scenarios again or no? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because this the tyrants are going to when you fight a tyrant, you're gonna build your scenario deck, which is gonna be a you'll go through a card every single day. Uh, and those scenario cards, there's like dozens and dozens of them. So you'll hit those same scenario cards eventually if you play the game a lot but fighting the same tyrant absolutely because the the different tyrants have different like lengths right Uh, they have do you want a fast game play this tyrant do you want a game that's like this play this tyrant Uh, so the different tyrants package different experiences into them okay i like that yeah so picket is the one that i know the best picket is the the shield boy and he has some different careers everyone has different careers that they can build into so his careers are uh, captain hero protector and warden and captain is going to be when you roll those dice you will either roll bones or you'll roll um oh my god i'm looking at his dice and i just realized i played a thing wrong but (laughs) (laughs) roll you got wrong yeah exactly you'll roll bones or you'll roll some passive ability which you can then gain and hold on to forever so like you can hold on to that thing for like a long time and have that thing affect you in some different way so captain's a really interesting passive attack or passive defense generation there's hero which is going to give you some quick defense or like massive bones if you build into bravado Uh, there's protector which is going to allow you to intercept and defend other players so you can use your defense on other people and then there's warden which is kind of about positioning and stuff so you can use your warden abilities to switch positions with an adjacent unit you can use your warden abilities to rush uh, moving up to three spots or like counter attack and i never really built into warden despite having played picket three times yeah so it seems like for with each character even if you play the one career, like, would you play again and pick the same career? Uh, I think it's more about dipping your toe or I, I don't know. I think for me, it was more about dipping your toes into each career and how, like, what do you need from Warden and what do you need from Captain that's going to complement how the other people on the team are building? Right. So you kind of talk to each other being like, oh, I'm going to be a captain. So you should be a like teacher. Or I don't know what the other roles are. but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because uh, like I might want to be a protector if I'm playing a two player game and it's just me and Boomer. I might want to be able to intercept damage from Boomer and keep Boomer safe. Right. And with the four characters in the box, there's just so like a huge wealth of choices already and a huge wealth of how these characters can interact. And I just am so excited to add more characters to the mix. Yeah. So you just have the main four, but you, wait, you've you played with others now? I haven't played with others yet. Oh, okay, okay. I love it. I'm, honestly, I can't wait to play this game. It seems so cool. It, it's very cool. It's very theme rich. Mm. And it's, it's very involved. Like it's not going to be a quick experience, obviously. But 
if you are willing to sit down and have this game be your afternoon or be your evening, uh, you will have a really rich and really rewarding experience. I'm I'm willing. I'm willing for this game <laughs> to be my life. Um, the last thing I want to explain before before I'm like, that's it. That's enough bones <laughs> is bones, actually. So too many bones. Name of the game. Every die or almost every die has at least one side that is two bones crossed as like an X. And this is considered a bones roll. And when you roll this, essentially, there's nothing you can do it. If you're using a special die, it's it's basically it's basically you rolled a one. You, you didn't want to roll a one. You rolled a one. That die is not going to accomplish anything. But if you spend those bones, you can add them to your backup plan. And your backup plan is a really interesting mechanic in this game that kind of rewards you for botched dice rolls. Okay. So as you as you add more dice to your backup plan, you're going to gain access to different backup abilities. So Pickett, for example. We'll go with Pickett again because he's the character I know the best. But Pickup's backup plan, with one bone in his backup plan, he can't do anything. But with two bones in his backup plan, he can do a shield bash, which essentially removes all of his defense and deals damage equal to the defense he removed. It makes him a little bit vulnerable, but you can deal some good damage since he generates so much defense. If he spends three bones, he could do a do-over, which would immediately allow him to re-roll any number of the dice he just rolled. Uh, With four dice, you can do benevolence, which heals Pickett for two and gives him two defense. For five, you can do a a shield shock, which does the shield bash from two, but also stuns the opponent person. And then for six bones, and everyone has this six bones ability, you can upgrade to your innate plus one, which essentially gives you a brand new innate ability all the time. Wow. So as you get more dice and as your dex increases and you roll more dice per turn, you might be getting closer and closer to getting six bones into your backup plan, allowing you to upgrade yourself. Sometimes you'll even deliberately not win an encounter because you want to roll more bones and generate that innate plus one ability. Like, there's just so many reasons you might want to kill them fast, kill them slow, do scenario option one over scenario option two. And, like, by giving you so much to work with and so much... To, to like know and to learn about and to experience this game kind of does the same thing that spirit island does with a cooperative game where it completely removes the ability for someone to table captain the game right because you just can't be that aware of what everyone else is doing with all of their individual stuff could you play with four characters at once yeah it would take you a long time You could totally do that. You could play a four-player Spirit Island alone, but, like, the game is built to scale, so, like, I'm not sure why you would want to, but you can't really, like, be bossing other players around, and you can't really take control of the game because of just how involved each side of the experience is. I love the mechanic of the botched dice rolls meaning something because in a dice-driven game, if you're rolling bad rolls, it just feels bad. Yeah. So... The fact that it rewards you for that, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun because, like, thematically also, it's, like, it's your backup plan. Like, if things go poorly, like, you got a plan B. <laughs> and I, 
think that's just like a lot of fun. It's it's a really cool mechanic. It feels built in thematically. And I just think it's like a, a, a massive success. And it gives you some interesting choices. So let's say I use one of my fancy dice, one of my specialist dice. Like, let's say I use that die that might allow me to defend Boomer. And I try to roll and I'm hoping for that three defense that's on it. And I roll a bone. Well, I, can, I have two options now. I can take that bone and I can put it into my backup plan. But then that die is exhausted and gone. Or I can just decide not to use the die. Put it back onto my character sheet. And I, all I've done is wasted a dexterity that turn. Because you don't have to use that roll. So you actually get the choice of, well, like how important is this bone to me? Or would I just like to roll this die again next turn? Right. And those choices are just really intriguing and really... Uh, like, I think it lends itself to an incredibly involved, incredibly interesting cooperative game that's, like, I would say a massive success. I'm dying to try it. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Uh, enough about too many bones. What about rules? Did we get some rules wrong, Maggie? Did you get some rules wrong? What did you do wrong in Six Nymphed? I... I didn't. Well, I played it on Board Game Arena, and it's pretty hard to get rules wrong on that because it's all <laughs> That's automated. True. So That's true. It doesn't let you get rules wrong. Didn't get any rules wrong there. What about you? What was the one you realized? It's not necessarily a rule I got wrong as much as it's a choice I never made. Oh, okay. Pickett has dice that are, as I mentioned, those ongoing abilities. So if I roll the health regen, then I might get one health back every single turn which would be really good. But if I roll that looking for health regen and I roll a bone, it's actually a recurring bone. So it can actually just sit in my backup plan for the entire game. Okay. Which I didn't realize. And that might make that might be a reason where you would want that in your backup plan. Would it be worth the more than the one health a turn? Maybe. Maybe sometimes. Uh, so I just totally missed that because there's just so many dice symbols and so much that you need to learn. But the nice thing is each character has just the one cardstock, not cardstock, the one plastic uh, character sheet, remember? <laughs> and that kind of tells you what every symbol on every one of your dice means. So every player has the sheet and then also the board where they can like upgrade their stats and stuff? Yep. Cool. Sorry, I was just trying to imagine it. I think it's time. Time for what? For the nerd adjacent musings. Okay. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I want you to go first. I've just talked so much, Maggie. I was just so excited about too many bones. No, I was excited to hear about it. I'm excited to try it. So my nerd adjacent musing, I kind of want to talk about what I'm doing tonight, but I haven't done it yet, so it can't really count. But I'm doing like a one-shot RPG of this game, this RPG I've never played before, Mothership, which is like a sci-fi horror RPG, so I'm excited about that, but <laughs> I haven't done it yet, so I can't really like talk about it at all. That sounds cool, though. Mm-hmm. It's a murder mystery like on a foreign planet, so. Yeah, that sounds so cool. Yeah, it's very cool, and I bought fun new die, so, fun new dice, sorry. So I'm excited about that, but that's not my nerd adjacent using because I don't even know if it's going to be fun yet. Well, I'm sure it's going to be fun. So I'm very susceptible to 
marketing ploys from like any brands or like companies that I like. Like if a brewery I like is giving away a free t-shirt, I'm gonna order from them. If Jamie Stegmaier is putting out a game about a sci-fi novel, I sign me up for sure. Like definitely like take take my money, take my firstborn child. Right, um, right, right, right. And when Nintendo tells me this is the last day you have to buy this game that you really didn't care about buying at all, then I'm gonna buy it. So I bought <laughs> Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Ugh. Um, <laughs> I know. I was like, I wasn't even that interested in it while it was available. And I literally, I have a working N64 with Super Mario, which is the only one of the three that I've actually played before. So I don't know. I, but I splurged and I bought it. And I have started, only started playing Super Mario Galaxy. Okay. Have you played... What have you played from that three-pack? Have you played them all? So I've played Sunshine. I've played 64, but I've never played Galaxy. Galaxy is kind of the one I skipped. I did Odyssey, but not Galaxy, not Galaxy 2. So I actually did play Galaxy 2, and I liked it a lot. But it was many years ago, and it was like when there was no Switch. And that's the thing that I hate about Super Mario Galaxy. This is my nerd music, music, and I'm not even that crazy about it. But um, <laughs> but what the thing about Galaxy that's are very annoying is like it came out i think it was the game that came out like when the wii came out so right. like so much of the game is dependent on like the motion sensor of your controller and like i kind of hate that like whenever there's a game that cares about that if there's a setting where i can turn it off and just use the controller i always turn it off that makes sense yeah. but you can't you can't do that in this or at least i don't i haven't found out a way to do it yet but it's a lot to do with like collecting and like moving your cursor around with your controller which i'm finding annoying and also you're on these planets like mario's on these like small planets so he's like constantly moving around and the perspective is really hard to follow so i keep like playing and then i realize that for half an hour i've had my neck at like a 90 degree angle (laughs) and i keep having to remember like okay just look at the tv straight but yeah that's that's my nerd adjacent music awesome awesome i didn't mean to like scoff when you said it i just well, you did. No, no, it's okay. I'm a little annoyed at, at Nintendo for just releasing ports, like not even like updated graphics and stuff. Just, hey, here's three games that are 20 years old for full price. No. Oh, exactly. It's like, this is going to be a $90 game. It's going to be three games. We're not going to change anything about them. It's just going to be like easier for you to play. And we're going to release it for like a limited time. So you feel like you have to get it, which absolutely worked for me. And it's probably going to work for me with the, uh, what's the other one that came out with like the Bowser's Fury one? I don't have that yet, but I'm like, I'm sure on the last day I'm going to. Super Mario World? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't understand in this day and age where releasing digital editions of games is just so easy. Why we need to have a limited re-release of 20 year old games. Yeah. Like, what the heck is that? I, I. I have issues with Nintendo's marketing and their whole, like, raison d'etre. It's it's annoying to me. No, I, I agree. I agree. I also think it's annoying, and it still works on me. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. You're going to think it's annoying. You just spent $70. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I started with Galaxy because that's, like, the third. So it's Super Mario, and then it's Mario Sunshine, and then it's Super Mario Galaxy. And I started with Galaxy because it's 
the most recent one. So I thought I would find that one like the least annoying graphics wise. And I do have like a lot of nostalgia associated with like the N64 Super Mario. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about Sunshine. But honestly, I do. I, I like Mario games. I like pretty much every Mario game I've ever played. So I'm sure I'm going to like it all. Sunshine's very good. I, I would say that Sunshine is a better game than 64. Well, yeah, probably. But I just, I don't know. I have so much nostalgia associated Absolutely, with, yeah. with the N64. Okay, so that's me. What's yours? Uh, my Nerd Adjacent Musing is a TV show. It's been out for a few years. It's called Dear White People. Oh, okay. Uh, have you have you watched it on Netflix? No, I have not. But I, I have nothing to say other than, like, I have been interested in wanting to watch it. Yeah, so I have been especially in the past couple of years, trying to consume more media that is created by POC and created by people in the LGBTQ community because me as a straight white guy, my worldview is pretty narrow. And like what I've been exposed to in my life is pretty narrow. And that like, I think part of my job is to like be aware of the, the space that I take up in the world and how I can help the status quo change from what it is to being a more inclusive world. So so that's part of what just drew me to Dear White People. Apart from just the like brazenly uh, wonderful and like pseudo-aggressive title. And it's a really intriguing show. Mm, you're like, I'm, I'm white people. Is this for me? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's about Armstrong Parker, which is a... It's a black resident building on like a very white university. I believe it's a fictional university. I haven't actually looked into that. I'm not super aware of universities in the States, but I believe it's a fictional Ivy League university. And it's a kind of about the experience of all of these students in this campus and kind of about their experience and how being black students on this primarily white campus, like kind of how their community thrives together and kind of the issues that they deal with and it's just a really beautiful piece of art how many seasons it's three right now it doesn't talk to to me the white person like like i need to be babied and need to hear like it's like hey this is this is messed up let's lay this on the table here are some issues and it it's very like brazen about how it portrays issues how it portrays racism how it portrays white people being the worst and i think like there, there's a part of this show that is made for people like me who are going to watch it and go oh yeah these are ways that i have messed up in the past i'm going to try to be a better person moving forward and i'm going to try to kind of alter my behavior and like learn how to unlearn all this stuff and there's a part of the show that i imagine is built towards black viewers who have that experience but it is i think so good at making every moment of it feel accessible even though it's not at all my experience right it's it's wonderful it's hard to watch there's like a lot of really heavy content in it like there's uh there's like sexual assault allegations in it there's like very prominent uh like abuses of power by like white campus security guards in it like it's mm. it's very difficult to watch so if if you are the type of person who needs time to process and time to deal with emotions especially related to everything happening in 
America, Canada, the world, then take your time with the show. But I think it is an incredibly insightful show that is really helping me try to like make steps towards being a, a better person. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I definitely am someone who needs to take time to like sit with things that are a bit heavier. But I think that from what you've described, it sounds like this is like an important and insightful thing to like take the time to watch. So I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. It, by like episodes five and six, some some very hard to watch scenes are already happening. And I, I think the thing that it does j- just so well is it deals with important topics, but it does it with all of these characters who are just so charming. I would say every character in the show goes through like huge transformations and is incredibly charming. And the way the show handles the growth of all those characters is so interesting because the first episode's about Sam. And when you watch the first episode, you think the show is about Sam because Sam also has a talk show called Dear White People. Oh, okay. I guess not a talk show, a radio show called Dear White People. And... Like, you're like, oh, this is a show about Sam. And then the second episode, you're like, oh, no, that was an episode about Sam. This episode's about Joe. And then you're like, oh, now it's about Reggie. Right. It focuses on different people each up. I like that. Yeah. And and kind of like the, the prominent characters in some episodes are just like total background characters in other episodes because like, well, everyone involved in the show is in each other's lives. Like, not everyone is best friends with everyone. You're not mm-hmm. going to see everyone hanging out together all the time the way, like, TV sitcoms love to do. It's like, oh, these people only have friendship as a group of nine. Like, that doesn't really <laughs> happen. Yeah. yeah, I would highly recommend the show. I would highly recommend going into it knowing that there's going to be some tough scenes and knowing that it's just beautifully acted, beautifully directed, and really a, a wonderful experience. No, I will... I will... When, when I'm feeling in the right space too, I will definitely watch that. Absolutely. Uh, the, the first episode isn't heavy, I don't believe. Like, it, it deals with issues of race, obviously, but you're not going to have any, like, huge, huge heavy moments in the first episode. So right. right. if you are feeling like you can delve into something like that, it's a good time. Yeah, well, that's just, honestly, you saying that has made me think about another show. Have you seen the show I May Destroy You? I haven't, No. I actually don't know. I feel like maybe it hits women specifically like a little bit harder than it would for a man. But that was another, that's a show, I believe it's written by Michaela Cole, who's also the, plays the main character. And anyway, that's like a really, really, really well done show, but it's like trigger, massive trigger warning for sexual assault. But that show was really, that one really affected me a lot too. That was a good one. And she's a black woman as well from the UK. So they're British, and I had to watch it with subtitles because it was hard to understand. Because <laughs> you can't deal with British accents well. <laughs> no, really. Uh, well, it depends. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard. Now I'm just talking. This is like my fourth nerd decent music, but Love Island, which is like a trash reality show from the UK. I also, there's specific things like I can watch Harry Potter without subtitles, but like Love Island is definitely the, like, that is the max. I cannot understand anything that they're saying, and I need to have subtitles on for it. <laughs> well, I kind of watch, I try to watch everything with subtitles. I think that's, like, I, I kind of just like having the freedom to just kind of read along when I want to. 
Yeah, I, I, I often watch with subtitles as well, but sometimes what annoys me is when there's music going on and it like reads the words to the music and then someone, well, a one show in, specific, in particular, they often write down the text messages as subtitles. So if I have subtitles on and there's a song playing, I often will just like miss a full text conversation because I wasn't paying attention to the song lyrics, which were actually the text message conversation. Right, right, right. But that's just a me problem. <laughs> so the thing I... I really dislike is when you have subtitles on and there's like background conversations happening that really aren't meant to be heard that are just kind of right. and the subtitles are like, here's all the words that you actually cannot hear and aren't supposed to hear, but now you can hear them. It's like, I, d- I didn't really need to know what was happening in the other room. That's not related to any of the characters or plot. That's true. <laughs> I except for it. Cause sometimes those are like, Fun little gems. Like, you'll hear someone say something, or you'll see someone say something that you never would have noticed before. Yeah, but sometimes you just don't need it, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I remember when I was a child, my first time ever putting subtitles on was to figure out what Gandalf said right before he, like, fell. When he says, fly, you fools, I always was like, what the heck is he... I really found that one sentence very difficult to understand. That was my first subtitle experience. (laughs) You let us know your first subtitle experience uh, in the comments on the website, or you can post on Twitter, Instagram. You let us know. We want to know what's your life been like with or without subtitles. Mm, We'd love to hear it. But I guess that's a wrap for us today. This is a bit of a long app. It is. Hopefully people enjoyed the subtitle conversation. (laughs) Okay, so that wraps us up for today. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Maggie. I'm Billy. <laughs> and this was Into the Meepleverse. Into the Meepleverse. Um, sorry, I'm not going to say um. Cut that out, Billy.